friends, it's Kim. Today, we have a very special episode of Ladyland. You may remember a few months ago, we asked you to submit questions to be answered by your favorite guests from past seasons and surprise mystery guests that we wanted you to get to know. And today, we have those answers for you. A quick disclaimer before we get started. These answers are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy! When dating is safe again, how do I keep my sense of self and less anxiety going into it this time? To answer Sarah's question and to give advice on dating again post-pandemic and keeping your sense of self, please welcome back to the pod, season two guest, Joy the Baker. Joy is a professional baker, food photographer, cookbook author, blogger, donut enthusiast, and creator of Drake on Cake. Joy. Welcome back to Ladyland. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. Joy, what advice would you like to give Sarah? Okay, all right. This is a great question and I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. So the first part of the question is more of a statement and it starts when dating is safe again. Now, I've seen enough datelines to know that we don't know if dating is ever safe. I mean, nine times out of 10, it's pretty dicey. So knowing that and knowing that we still want to do it anyway, how do we keep our sense of self when dating? So we're going back into dating in like post-pandemic times, but I think even in pandemic time or like in any time that you're dating, it's incredibly important to keep your sense of self no matter what. And I say this as a professionally single person. <laughs> I'm, pro- I'm professional at nothing, nothing else, but I am professionally single. Um, and I, it's hugely important for me to keep my sense of self. I'll speak for myself and, and go from there. But so I'm sort of an introverted person. And for me to keep my sense of self, even if I'm dating someone, that means I need to spend a good amount of time by myself and just because I'm dating someone doesn't change the amount of quality time I spend by myself on my couch with my cat. Um, Maybe for a more extroverted person, you maybe keeping your sense of self would look like spending time with your circle of friends. I mean, I don't even remember what that's like, but maybe that's what keeping your sense of self feels like for you. So I would encourage you to do that whether or not you're dating. Um, And another Another thing about me, Sarah, (laughs) just kidding, Um, but I am always trying to explore myself, like who myself is on any given day. Uh, And I am rooted in, you know, the core stuff of like, I'm a decent human being, but I'm always trying to explore who I am. And for me, that comes in like three little ways. I have some, I do something regularly that I'm good at. Okay. So like say I'm, I'm a good baker. It's in the name. I'm a good baker. I like to bake. I bake a lot. Um, and then I, I throw in something 
in my life and weekly routine that I'm like moderately good at. So like I'm moderately, that's generous, good at playing the piano. So I like do a little thing um, that I can see progress in and, and I have that hobby. And then, because I'm wild and I really like to keep my ego in check, I throw in something into my weekly routine that I'm terrible at. And I'm terrible at swimming. God awful. I sink. I'm a sinker. Um, And so I really like to incorporate these like three tiers of things into my life because it really shows me it is a reflection. It is a mirror. It will show you who you are. But also I feel like it makes space to allow other people to come in, believe it or not. Like it creates space for other people. So maybe if I have a partner or a dating person come into my life, there's space for me to show them a cool thing that I can do in baking, or there's space for me to possibly learn from them if they are good at the thing that I'm bad at. I don't know. I just think that it helps me maintain my sense of self, but also create room to welcome other people into that space without losing myself. So that is my advice pandemic or no, you know, just like throw in some debilitatingly humiliating hobbies, see what you can do about them and and good luck with all the dates. That's great. I love uh, making space. Yeah. You do have to like, you know, like you have to know who you are when you're dating people, but you also have to like have space for other people. Otherwise, you're just like, it's unenjoyable for both, for both parties. Yeah. Is it easier or harder to make space as you get older? It's harder to make space as you get older, for sure. Because you just get so comfortable in who you are, which I think is like such an asset <laughs> to being a human woman in the world. Um, being comfortable in who you are. Uh, So you do become less bending to, um, you know, things like going to your guy or girls like bad band practice. Like you won't do that anymore because there's just not not enough time in the world anymore. You know, you're running out of time at this point. (laughs) I wondered how you were going to finish that sentence and the band practice was perfect. I... I've been to too many. I've wasted too much. <laughs> I've been not <laughs> Or even just like the show, like going to going to the show. If they're bad, we're not we're not pretending like they're good. No longer. So yeah. <laughs> There's things you make space for and things you, you will not make space for. I love it. Have you ever felt anxiety around dating? And maybe you've worked through it now. Hmm. It's okay if you haven't, but I just thought I would lead you through that a little. Yeah. Um, I have felt anxiety about dating. I sure have felt anxiety about dating. I think that the anxiety that I've felt about dating has manifested in different ways throughout my life. So I am about to be a 40-year-old woman, um, which I'm super excited about. Uh, when I was dating in my twenties and in my early, in my twenties, I would say I was, I was dating and hoping people would like me 
Like I was like trying to be liked by everyone. And, and it was, it would make me very anxious because I'd be like, what if they don't like me? <laughs> ah, that's really funny now. Um, uh, and when I was dating in my mid thirties, th- you know, like early to mid thirties, I was, I, I felt like there was an underlying pressure that I was putting on myself to like figure it out and like lock it down. But there wasn't really anything I wanted to lock down. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the tip stiff. Um, and so I, I remember having some like low level anxiety about that. And now that I am just getting older, I do feel a little bit, I do sometimes, if I'm being honest, feel a little bit of the like, wow, you, you really ran out of time, girl. <laughs> like now what are you doing? I do have some of those anxieties, but... I am also just like glad for the great times that I have, you know, like glad for, I'm in a relationship right now. It's been a year or so, year and a half. Um, And whether or not it works out, whether or not this dating relationship works out, I'm just so glad that it has happened at all because it's been great. And I just have, I have less attachment to the outcome of my dating scenarios than I have before. And that's just an anxiety that, you know, everyone has to work through in their own time. That's a great answer. Oh, is it? (laughs) Oh, it's just the truth. Okay. This was great. Wow. This was a delight. Paula asks, how do I accept the fact that work-life balance is a lie? To answer Tala's question and to give advice on maybe our greatest urban myth, a healthy work-life balance, please welcome back to the pod, season two guest, Sheena Stewart. Sheena is a blogger, truth teller, and self-professed queen of vulnerability. Sheena, welcome back to Ladyland. Hello. Sheena. What advice would you like to give Tala about work-life balance? First of all, Tala, who told you that you had to accept that? They're a lie. Tell them they're a lie. Except if it was your mother, just tell her that she told a story. I'm very Southern. Can't say a lie to your parents. So I would say work-life balance that That is a myth for me. I don't do the balance thing anymore. And I think the pandemic has really taught me that. Uh, to give you a little bit of backstory, Tala, on me, I have been working from home now for a year with my husband and our twin daughters who are 17 months, which means they were a good six, seven months when this all started. Bear with me. But what I've been doing now is practicing harmony. Because balance, that, that says that things are equal. That, that says that things are even. That's not true. But I like to think of harmony. I like to think of boys to men. Hey, Wanye, he's the lead singer, guys. We know that. But Sean and Nate and the other guy who I don't remember, they just have to get in line and harmonize. And Anthony likes to think of us as, for all the sports fans, Pippin and Jordan. His motto is, Pippin has six rings too. That means sometimes you got to play the background. 
You can't always be, you know, with your with your tongue stuck out, dunking like Jordan. Sometimes you just got to pass the ball. You got to do the assist like, like Pippen. So my point is to not think of a work-life balance. Think of harmonizing. Think of for this week, what am I going to prioritize? Uh, for us, we went to Minnesota for Christmas on that long 14-hour drive back. I thought of a couple of things that would help us this year. Because last year when people would ask, hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing fine. We're still married and the kids are still alive. That was funny at first. And then I thought about it. That's really how I'm living. That's not how I want to live. So we came up with a few things to uh, to have our home be a little bit more harmonious. So one thing is on Saturdays, what we do on the weekends, what we do is we take turns on sleeping in. So today's Friday. And tomorrow I get to sleep in. There's no time when I have to wake up. And to tell you a little secret, don't tell my husband. I wake up sometimes at like 7.30 and I just lie in the bed and play on my phone till 9.30. And I can hear him and the kids and I'm not worried about it. (laughs) I don't worry about those people. Uh, Then the next day, Anthony will sleep late. Another thing we're doing is we take turns each month on checking into a hotel and having a staycation. March is my month. I went in March. I went in January, so March is my month. Uh, for anyone listening, if you have any good hotel, uh, you know, uh, recommendations, hit me up on my DM. But yeah, so we we've done that. And the last thing that we do is we are doing monthly date nights with themed destinations. Uh, so I say find something every week to prioritize that, and that's going to be your Jordan. That's going to be your Juan Yay. But don't let those other things slack off. Hey, you need a Pippin. You need a you need a Nate. You need a whatever the other members of Boys to Men that I can't remember. Those people are important because you do need that. Everyone needs to play their role so that things are in harmony. I hope that helped. But again, whoever told you to accept something, no one should ever tell you to accept anything. Don't listen to that. But as far as balance, think of it more as um, to be in harmony. And you get to choose what's more important and don't feel sorry for the Nates and the Shans and the Pippins. They will get their turn. Everything can't be a Jordan. Everything can't be a Wanye. That's what I have for you. Thanks, Sala. Hello. Do you like cake, brunch, having fun? Then do we have good news for you? Friend of the pod, Joy the Baker, has partnered with Williams-Sonoma to turn some of her favorite recipes into brunch and cake mixes for bakers of all abilities. Shop Williams-Sonoma online and in stores now. Also, attend a summer bakehouse class. I attended one in the before times, and I can't recommend it enough. Check out Camp Joy and Pizza and Pints. New summer classes are still being added, so make sure you follow the Bakehouse NOLA on Instagram and sign up for the newsletter at joythebaker.com for all Joy the Baker and Bakehouse news. Happy baking! Ladyland listeners, have I got a deal for you. LOL. But seriously, I have a deal for you. Libro FM is the first and only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local independent bookstore. And guess what? We have two of those here in Nashville. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your completely unstructured life. Listen during your commute to your living room, 
while doing chores, walking the dog, petting the cat, or relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free LibreFM app. Ladyland special offer, get two audiobooks for the price of one, that's $14.99, with your first month of membership using the code LADYLAND at checkout. It's really easy. My spouse is going through a legit midlife crisis. How do I support them? It's affecting all of us. To answer Andy's question and to give advice on supporting your partner through a midlife crisis, please welcome to the pod for the first time, the Habit Trip author, Sarah Hayes Coomer. Sarah is a Mayo Clinic and National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach, a National Strength and Conditioning Association Certified Personal Trainer, a speaker, and the author of three books. Sarah helps individuals and groups build intrinsically driven systems to support our collective well-being. Sarah, hi. Hi, Kim. Welcome to Ladyland. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. What advice would you like to give Andy about her, their spouse's midlife crisis? It's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> hi, Andy. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump into this question under one big assumption, which is that everyone in this situation is safe. Your spouse is safe. You are safe. Anyone else in the household is safe from the wrath of this midlife crisis that you're dealing with. So assuming that, um, imagine that you could approach this from two different directions, kind of like a sandwich effect kind of a situation. So um, if you two and all the good juju that you've got going are the gooey PB&J in the middle of this sandwich and you're supporting and upholding that gooey center with structure on both sides. So on one side, which is the top of the sandwich, you're supporting yourself and your partner and the relationship with something that people talk a lot about. There's a lot of lip service, but it's hard to utilize it, which is boundaries. Um, one thing I've learned after many, many years of working with, with clients is that boundaries are one of the greatest expressions of love that we can offer not only ourselves, but the people that we love as well. Um, when everybody knows what's expected of them and um, what they need, then they have the flexibility to grow and bend and stretch beyond those boundaries. And it creates this really lovely sense of freedom. So it's structure, but it, it builds and it creates this freedom for everyone involved. So if you can let them know the bottom line, the ways that you need to be supported as a partner and what you expect from them as a baseline support, um, then you can more easily, uh, they can more easily give you what you need. And they'll also have a feel for the ways that they can fall apart or explore their way through the transition so that um, it won't negatively affect you and the relationship and whoever else is in the house if there are kids around or anything like that. So... The other side of the sandwich is the bottom part, and that holds everything up. <laughs> so this is where the gooiness kind of soaks into the bread, and you get to be part of that curiosity and the exploration that can bring them to the other side of the crisis 
to, to find the answers and the solutions that are going to make sense to them. Um, so what we know, what the research is saying about behavioral change is that when we tell people what to do, they have a natural automatic tendency to respond with some kind of resistance. So you might say, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Or what if you did this? And all of that might be very well intended, but the natural human response to that is to be, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I should, but I can't. And here's why. And then they give you all the reasons why, you know, I can't, I don't want to change is hard. I don't even know what I want. Um, so, with, with this bottom part of the sandwich, you get to be part of the solution. You get to be part of not helping them figure it out. So you're not giving them the answers, but you're just asking really good questions. So um, I would encourage you to engage, if they're open to it, by asking questions about them as a person because that might be shifting right now and it can be really disconcerting for everybody involved, for them and for you. But like, you know, who, who are you? What do you love? What are you inherently good at? What makes time fly for you? What do you, what makes you happy? What is a challenge at work? What feels really good at work? What feels really good? And, and you can have those conversations around relationships too and all the other aspects of our lives. But just who are you? And kind of digging into that and playing around with it. Um, you can help them figure out what makes them tick rather than telling them what they should be doing next. And it can be, it can be fun. It can be challenging, but it can be a fun thing to explore. Um, and if you're both non-judgmental about the fact that they might not know the answers to those questions, um, then it, it takes some of the shame and the pressure out of things so that you can start together to figure out what comes next. And then you're one big gooey sandwich and you can all sit on the porch and have a snack <laughs> and a drink. That is, that is so perfect. I have, I love the sandwich analogy a lot. <laughs> I just kept thinking of like, it felt like a reinforcement for this sweetness in the middle. Yes. Yeah. It does. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm wondering, um, if you don't know, Sarah has a brand new book out called The Habit Trip. And uh, your publisher was nice enough to send me one. I just got it today. So I'm flipping through it. And I'm wondering um, if you want to talk about journaling and habits and something that's, you know, maybe strengthens relationships as they age. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the habit trip takes you through 10 areas of life that contribute to our health and well-being. And one of them is relationships or people. I refer to it as people. Um, so, you know, who who are the people in your life? And, you know, it's interesting, This this the coronavirus and quarantine has been fascinating in who, what are the relationships that we have chosen to continue to nurture at a distance? Um, those are the ones I think it's, it's become really clear to a lot of people, um, who, who are the, like the true reinforcements in your life and that you can just rely on, but it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to shift when we open up because not everybody that we haven't been able to see or keep up with is somebody that we want out of our lives. Um, so this is a really purposeful moment. I think when we get to 
to really make conscious decisions about where we want to put our energy as we open up and come back. Um, so yeah. And then the habits, you know, habits are just, they're just sort of the, the tapestry of our lives. They're the rituals and the routines that we engage in every day. Um, and I think a lot of people think of habits as being like, I have a bad habit or I have a good habit. And they're really just coping mechanisms one way or the other. Um, they're, they're, like I said, reinforcements. And so if we can look at them that way, then the, the book helps you deconstruct like what's triggering the habit, what is the, what is the structure of the habit itself, and then what is the reward that you're getting out of it. And it helps you kind of play with those moving parts and play being an operative word because this book is a, you know, fantasy land with dragons and venomous spiders and talking dog mayors and all kinds of crazy... <laughs> Crazy thing. So it's a fun sort of Shel Silverstein, Phantom Tollbooth inspired um, book. So yeah, it's a, it's a playful adventure to try to figure out how to weave those routines together in ways that feel healthy and supportive and, and good and exciting in our lives. I'm so excited to read it and to write in it. It's fun to get a book that you can write in. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and the paper is really like there's something I was just really about to tactile. Say, the paper is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. They did a great job with that. It's a great. It's great. I'm so happy to see it. <laughs> is there anything else from your book that would tie into an answer about midlife crisis or relationships? So when people are looking to build a new phase of life or, and that could be something as small as a habit, or it could be something as big as a major pivot point in life or a fork in the road, um, the the pain points, which we're, we're all too familiar with, are often the things that first alert us to what we need. And if we can marry what we need with what we love, instead of um, looking at what we want and what we're lacking, if we can look at the need and try to connect it with the things that we love and fill those spaces with things that we love, then we're so much more likely to find our way forward to lives that feel good and fulfilling. So as we're asking those questions about, you know, who are you? What, what do you need in your life to make you feel fulfilled? What has felt fulfilling in the past? What did you love doing as a kid? You know, those are the things that will start to help us find our way forward into, into more fulfilling situations. Thank you All so right. much, Sarah. Sounds good. Thanks Bye. for doing this. Thanks for having me. Bye. You're welcome. Katie asks, how did you know that the thing you're doing is your thing? And do you have any tips on embracing your weirdness? To answer Katie's question and to give advice on doing your thing and embracing your weirdness, please welcome back to the pod season one guest, Freya West. Freya is a local burlesque personality, an MC and aspiring comic, and number one champion of teaching and encouraging women to love their bodies, embrace their sexuality, and move confidently. Freya, what advice would you like to give Katie? Hi, Kim. Well, thank you for having me back. I like that when you got a question about weirdness, you were like, I know who this is going to. <laughs> so I think this question is really great. And uh, it's definitely something that if you are a creative, I think that you have struggled with at least or maybe struggle is the wrong word, wrong word, like 
you've tackled this at least once, probably many, many times. Uh, so the first part is like, how did you know that the thing you're doing is your thing? Which I think is a really interesting question. Um, because she didn't ask, how do you know if it's the right thing? She asked, how do you know if it's your thing? Um, and so it really resonated with me as a exiled live performer who <laughs> has not been on stage doing my thing, the thing that I have chosen to do and built to do uh, for the past 10 years of my life. Um, so I think it's I think it's interesting on many levels. I've lived a lot of lives and every time I unfortunately I'm here to tell you that I never knew that it was the right thing or that it was my thing um, until I was really inside it. I think it's really hard to see from the outside looking in whether or not something is going to be your thing because you're pretty much only looking at someone's highlight reel and you're not seeing the bloopers and the behind the scenes and like just the day-to-day -day grind that goes into whatever that person's dream, whatever that person's thing is. So honestly, I think the best advice is just to go for it. And I know that sounds like the laziest advice that I can give someone, but we live in a world where it's so easy to just try things. Like there are YouTube tutorials for literally anything that you want to do, right? Um, and so even if what you want to do, even if your thing is to like, be a psychologist and you need schooling and you need to like really invest in that, there's still ways I think that you can shadow people, you can talk to people who do that kind of work, you can get insight into what they do to see like, does this resonate with me on the level that I want it to? Um, and I also want to say that I'm assuming that this person's speaking creatively. I don't, I don't know that, but I, I feel like often when we're like, what's my thing? It's a very artistic, creative endeavor. Um, and so uh, I think we're pushed to find that one box, that one niche, right? And so it's like, well, what's the thing that's your thing? And how are you going to brand that and blah, 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 and all the things that go into that. Um, that's not how creativity works. You're not just one thing. You're not, you don't fit into a box, even if it's good branding. So also like allow yourself to be all your things and do all your things. Um, I think that we do ourselves a disservice by just saying like, okay, here's the one thing that I do and I'm going whole hog at it. I wish that people would just talk more about this, especially creatives, because it's very much like, well, you just find your thing and then you just do it. And then it's like this secrecy of like working hard at it and then success is somewhere along the magical road. Um, and all of that is bullshit. <laughs> there is no... Uh, there is no end of the road. There is no magical like light bulb that says, oh, this is your thing and your mission in the world and you're doing it. Um, you kind of just keep finding that out, you know? Like you hit milestones that you think are sort of the thing, the measures of success for you. And then as soon as you hit that, you have to either keep going and you find something deeper or you pivot, you know? And I think that we don't talk often enough about how like pivoting is also growth it doesn't mean you're giving up on something. It means that maybe you're taking all of your skills, all your failures, all your mistakes from the one thing that you were doing, and you're using that in the next thing that you're doing. So it's never a mistake to just go for something thinking it's your thing and then find out, oh, this isn't my thing. I want to do these other two things instead. Like you still have everything that you worked for in that one thing. So ultimately, the real secret... <laughs> is that there is no your thing. You just pick a thing and then you just go after it for as long as feels 
good. Like it's giving you creative energy. It is inspiring you. It's challenging you. And then as soon as those things start to fall away, or as soon as you start to realize that this isn't something that it's not giving you anything, you're just giving but not getting, then you just do something else. And then that's your thing. So yeah. (laughs) I think that's so great. I think a lot of us around our age and who have been on the internet as like professional creative women early on got force fed this unfortunate girl boss branding of like, all right, ladies, welcome to the internet, saddle up. And it's, it's been such a disservice um, because it didn't, I don't know that we had a lot of models online for failure and for how to pivot. And uh, turns out I could have used that. Because I will hold on real tight just out of fear of failure, fear of judgment. Like, well, I made this thing my thing. Better hold on to it till I die. Yeah, I mean, so I'm of sort of the opposite personality-wise. Like, I am the person who wants to try everything, but maybe just try it once and never do it again. So for me, some of that mindset is helpful because I need the encouragement, the stick-to-itiveness, you know? And knowing when to quit and when to persevere something I think is a skill that we don't, we definitely don't teach and we don't uh, sort of like praise highly enough for folks who know how to do that and can help others do that. Um, Because it is a, it is a balance, right? Of saying like, well, I, I put a lot of effort into this thing. And so now maybe I should stick it through. Maybe I'm just having a slump, right? And it's the difference, like having the, um, the discernment to know when that's what's happening or when it's time to move on, you know? And that's just like, you really got to reach down and and get in touch with your gut. And then you really have to trust yourself, you know? And that is a thing that is really hard to do. And it's like a lifelong skill that I think uh, we're all working on and learning. <laughs> yeah. How would you advise someone to embrace their weirdness? Yeah. So, um I love Oscar Wilde, and I feel like one of his lesser-known quotes that I use all the time is, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. And I just, I just love it so much, especially, like, if you're a person on social media, which is, like, all of our poor motherfuckers out there, <laughs> um, then, you know, you can't say that you don't want attention on social media because that's literally what it's for, right? And so the only thing worse than being like having people comment and things, even if it's unkind, is like not having any engagement. Um, And so I, first of all, I think that I want to replace the word authentic with weird because that's really what we mean. We don't mean like oh, tell us your most authentic blah, blah, blah that just happens to fit inside of a magazine page. You know, we want, we want to know like authentic really means like show us you're weird. Um, and so I think it's it's easy to embrace the parts of yourself that are normal, right? We all know this. Like we're taught that at a very young age when we're in grade school or whatever. Like um, if you were a weird kid, <laughs> then you found out you were a weird kid real early on. But that's what makes you you, you know? So I think for one is, sure, you can hide your weirdness, but like, are you going to be happy that way? Like if you're just always sort of pretending that you are quote unquote normal for the sake of fitting in at like 
I mean, not that we have social gatherings right now, but you know, like at book club or whatever it is that you would go to. Um, and so even if you feel like you're passing on that weirdness, then like you're not really being you. So is it worth it? Um, so I would say that's, that's one thing to consider about embracing your weirdness is just like, is it worth it to not embrace it, right? Like what's the cost of not being weird? And I also want to acknowledge that uh, I have a lot of freedom to talk about weirdness because I am a cis, able-bodied white woman. So there's a lot of ways in which I am very normal, right? Quote, unquote, normal in society. So I get to choose some of my weirdness where there are a lot of folks who don't have that, right? They literally just have to be themselves even if they don't want to be. Um, and to those people, like, we love you and yes, support you. Um, but I do think that having that privilege, as we know, like it's not just that you have privilege, but it's like, how are you using that? What are you doing with it? And so I think one way that we can use our privilege is to be as weird as you can be. This question, tips of how to embrace your weirdness means that you, you enjoy other people's weirdness, right? Like you see other people online who are weird, maybe in the ways that you want to be weird, or maybe just like in artistic ways that you admire. Um, and so those are your people, you know, like for lack of a better term, it's like that, that's your community there, right? Like those people that you admire, like they want to know that you're just like them. They want to know that you're weird too. Um, so I think specific like actionable tips on this are one, like being honest about your weirdness. So if someone asks you about something that you're really into and you're like, I have way too much knowledge about this very niche particular subject, instead of being like, oh yeah, I watched a documentary on it once or something. I mean, you don't have to go into a 30 minute explanation of <laughs> the weird thing that you're into, but it's okay to be enthusiastic about those things. And if that person you're talking to is like, okay, and they don't get it, then like, whatever. What was the harm done? They asked you about your weird thing anyway. So I think being brave enough to be honest about the things that you think are weird about yourselves is really powerful. Um, and, you know, it can be a conversation starter too. Like that person might also be like, oh my gosh, I'm also obsessed with this thing, right? But they were trying to casually bring it up so that maybe you wouldn't know that they were weird. Um, and then being able to educate people about your weirdness. So if you're really into, yeah, some subset of like, I don't know, historical dramas or something like that, right? Like there's probably a lot of information you have about that subject. And if someone is interested in it, then you can be their point of like, their point of entry into whatever weird thing is that you like, you're into. Um, and right now I'm talking about things that you're a fan of, but this is like for your mental health, for any of those subjects, right? That you that you feel like these are things that make me weird. Um, if you can educate about it, like we can all benefit from that. Um, and then lastly is like to make art about your weirdness, obviously. <laughs> so um, it doesn't have to be something that you ever share with anyone, right? But just make it for you. And whether that's drawing, it's writing fan fiction, it's crocheting, it's, you know, whatever kind of art, yeah, doing your nails, um, whatever kind of like art that you want to make. And all of that is art. Like I, we put a lot of names like crafting and like making content and like bleh, but like making memes is also making art, you know? So um, make art about the thing that you're weird about because that also does those other things, right? It lets you educate people and it lets you be honest about the thing you're weird about. Um, and it lets other people know that they're not alone in their weirdness. So 
I think the biggest thing is like, remember when you feel maybe like embarrassed of your weirdness and you're not sure if it's going to be accepted, like remember that you standing up and saying, hey, I'm weird in this way. And here's like why I love it or why this is part of my life. Like that can give someone else the power to stand up and say their weirdness and their weird truth too. That is such a good answer. That's great. I spent a lot of time being weird. (laughs) Freya West, professional weirdo. That that is so accurate. So ultimately, I learned that if people were going to stare anyway, I might as well make it worth their while. And so, like, why not be a spectacle if you already know that people are going to make assumptions about you that you have no control over. Like you might as well be as weird as you want to be. And I've said this before um, on my Instagram and I think in one of my Freya TVs, which is like a little IGTV thing that I do, um, dare to be seen. Because daring to be seen is really powerful. People are going to look at you And oftentimes I feel like we don't feel seen by people, but the closer that you can come to presenting yourself as you really are, whatever that means for you, the closer you are to being seen. And that's really scary because that's a vulnerable place. And then um, you open yourself up, obviously, to critics and all those people, but those folks are there anyway. What you do by being seen and allowing yourself to be seen is you get to find those connections that otherwise wouldn't be there at all. You get to connect with people who are that same level of weird as you or even totally different from you, but because you stood up and said, I'm weird and this is how I'm weird and this is the things that I love or this is just the way that I am, you know, even if it's a negative thing, right? If you're dealing with uh, chronic pain or chronic illness that makes you quote unquote weird, being able to share those things, you're going to connect with other people who also have those same struggles. Um, You're going to create these communities of people who understand each other and have empathy. I'm so glad you spoke to that. It's a good it's a good piece of the weirdness journey. Everyone should follow you on social. I'm going to put all of your social handles in the show notes. Um, yeah, Freya is great online and you should follow her to learn more about how to embrace your weirdness. Freya, thanks for coming back <laughs> to Ladyland. Thanks for having me, Kim. I love it here in Ladyland. Thanks. Bye. I'm Kim Baldwin, and that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. To find full show notes, head over to ladyland.show. And if you know a lady that I need to meet, slip into my DMs. You can find me at ladyland underscore podcast on Instagram. This podcast is produced by Mary Catherine Rooker and brought to you by We Own This Town. Logo by Elizabeth Williams. Music by U-Drive. Download anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a minute, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review Ladyland. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.